The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing the idea of investing in advertising holding companies. My guess is that many of you have never even considered investing in an advertising holding company. And I hope that this podcast will introduce you to the idea and offer you something new to consider in your investment journey. A quick reminder that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast and help me to continue creating great investing content, please consider becoming a patron at DIYinvesting.org patron. That's DIYinvesting.org P-A-T-R-O-N. My goal is to keep this podcast free of outside advertisements. In order to do that, I've decided upon a model that skips the middleman and allows me to receive support directly from you, the listener. My goal is to always provide value to you. Therefore, I have set up a membership program providing investment-based rewards to those who choose to become patrons of this show. I hope you'll check it out at DIYinvesting.org patron. So let's dive right on in into discussing advertising holding companies. First, you've probably never heard of them, but I'll just give you a brief list of six of the largest advertising holding companies. They are WPP, Publicis, Omnicom, Interpublic, Havas, and Dentsu. So you've probably never heard of these companies, um, but if you have, congratulations. Um, but the main thing to remember is that these are holding companies. So you might not recognize the corporate name, but if you've been involved with um, understanding brands and um, creative advertising and really looked into that market, you might be aware of some of their individual companies underneath them. So if you're in the creative industry, um, you might recognize those individual agencies because advertising companies are called advertising agencies usually. Um and these companies, each one will own multiple advertising agencies and different support companies as well. So the key aspect of an advertising holding company is what's called the creative agency. And they're the ones that come up with the new type of advertisement 
and really the creative storyline and focus that is dr- the driver for the advertising. So they're the ones that come up with you know a tagline um, or the you know key aspect of a brand. So like the Geico Gecko and the you know focus on save fifteen percent or more with Geico and and so those types of ads um, or those types of selling points are really what these creative agencies are focused on and they're focused on developing um, the baseline that really drives the advertising message that requires a lot of creativity and that requires a lot of expertise in understanding the business but also understanding how to sell and market to people so if you really want an idea of what a creative agency is it's been best shown in you know the public eye in the TV show Mad Men, where you cannot dive back into the 50s and 60s and look at, you know, what did these advertising agencies look like in their early prime days um, where they're really getting started as this big going concern on, you know, driving um, advertising for these big businesses. And really, these advertising holding companies that I, I'm talking about are like that. Um, in many ways, but those, what the show was really focused on was the creative part. So these companies have a lot of other businesses. You have digital marketing companies, you have um, television production, um, ad designers, graphic design, um, everything involved with it, um, analytics firms. These are all combined underneath these holding companies so that they can provide ads and complete marketing campaigns across the spectrum. So you can go to a single holding company and receive service for advertising in the TV market, um, online digital ads on Facebook ads, Google ads, or you can have radio ads, um, billboards, and and a single company can be the driver um, for all of that underneath these holding company umbrellas. But in addition to, you know, the creative aspect of what these companies offer, they're more than simply an advertising company. As if you look into um, reading their 10Ks and reading their annual reports, you'll find that these companies are truly more of what I'd call brand management companies. And so they are really designed to manage the brand uh, for national and multinational firms. Um, and there's all sorts of things that go into this. You know, if you're a big company like Procter and Gamble or Johnson and Johnson or Ford or Audi, BMW, Chrysler, um, if you're these big multinational brands, you have a lot of needs. You have a lot of services that are related to your brand that you want to protect and you want to grow your brand. So when Coca-Cola needs brand support, they don't just need creative advertising. They also need stuff like public relations and customer relationship management. And those are some of the services that these advertising holding companies are able to offer because what's really wanted for these big multinational firms, these firms that bring in tens of billions or hundreds of billions of dollars per year in revenue, they're looking for a company that can offer them everything. They're looking for companies that can be a kind of like a one-stop shop where they can consolidate all of their external marketing needs and sort of outsource that expertise to someone who specializes that on a day-to-day basis. 
And that's really where these advertising holding companies like WBP, Publicis, or Omnicom really fill that need and that niche because they they focus all of that talent, all of that creative talent um, and skill in a single area. And each individual company like Coca-Cola doesn't need to hire um, marketing gurus and digital Facebook ad product producers and television producers. They can just outsource all that work to a single company. I mean, that's very valuable for um, these companies because basically they're operating on a commission model um, or a cost plus model where um, the holding company provides a service and um, they're providing both the man hour service of spending time and having people working on developing ad campaigns and these holding companies serve as the middleman that purchases the ads or ad time, um, let's say in the television market or the radio market or online. And this is valuable because the holding companies are able to use much larger scale um, when they're purchasing those ads and they get deeper discounts than an individual company like Coca-Cola might have in comparison. So Coca-Cola might spend, you know, a couple hundred million dollars per year on marketing, but an advertising holding company might purchase tens of billions of dollars of ads in a single year. And so they can then leverage their scale from their thousands of customers and use it to negotiate better with a company like CBS or ABC for large amounts of their advertising time. Consequently, they get better deals, they get cheaper prices. And so even though an advertising holding company um, takes a commission on that um, advertising bill and that marketing expense, they're still the purchasing company, the brand company. Again, this is your Johnson & Johnson or your um, Clorox or Coca-Cola. Those companies are still getting a good deal because they not only don't have to spend the, the in, inside resources developing the ideas for the campaign, they're also getting a cheaper price even after paying a commission discount or a commission to the advertising company. So this is really the niche that advertising holding companies play in the marketing world. And they um, are quite big and quite large. And for instance, I believe all three of the top players, WPP, Publicis, and Omnicom have over a 20% market share. So you're looking at least between those three companies, having a market share of over 60%. And this can be very valuable for those companies in particular because it means that they have large influence within their markets and they have, again, more size for negotiating um, when they're negotiating on the behalf of brands. So again, the advertising agencies, their customers are brand companies. And so I'm just going to generally refer them to the brand companies. But when I talk about brand companies, I'm really talking about the customers of advertising companies. Okay, so I've kind of talked about what these businesses do. Let's kind of dive into a little bit more of how their business model works. And the first thing to understand with the advertising industry, that this is a mature industry. Advertising has been around for decades and decades. I believe advertising has been going on for at least 100 years. Um, but, the, but over that time period, 
the industry has matured. It's a very low growth industry. You're not having advertising um, holding companies that are growing at rates of 30, 40, or 50% per year. You're talking about rates that are like 0%, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% a year. You know, you're talking 5% or under growth um, on a nominal basis. So it's a low growth industry. So a lot of times low growth industries get a bad rap. So I wanted to start with, um, you know, defining this industry as a low growth industry because I think it's really the key negative that a lot of people focus on in terms of advertising. They say, oh, it's relatively low growth. You know, the growth in the industry is only going to grow in line with GDP. So GDP is gross domestic product, which basically means the overall economic activity of the nation or economic activity of the world. Advertising is not going to keep growing bigger than GDP. It's not going to be a bigger and bigger portion of the economy over time. Um, most likely, it's just going to maintain about what it is, which is around 2% of the economy is spent on advertising at this point. I think that's a, it's reasonable that this would just grow as the economy grows and, and stay along those lines. So again, you have a low growth industry. And it also means that the individual businesses are relatively low growth. Now, that's not to say that there isn't value in that. So again, I wanted to start with what I think is one of the big cons and we'll work into some of the positives um, to really give you that contrast. So one big positive for this industry is that it's relatively low competition. The advertising holding companies don't compete with each other based upon price. In fact, if you listen to their conference calls of the CEO and the management, they'll tell you that it's not possible for an advertising agency to steal a customer from another advertising agency unless that customer is looking for a change. So basically, um, there's very little turnover between which brands are with each which with a specific creative agency for a period of time um what that means is that the competition is based almost purely upon creativity so if the brand is suffering and losing market share then the brand owner you know might consider hey, we don't really like how this is going. So like Johnson & Johnson, one of their brands is Tylenol. And so if they say, hey, you know, we don't really like how Tylenol is losing market share. We don't really like the creative ad campaign that we've had um, for the last couple of decades. We might consider putting it up for review. And when a, a brand is put up for review, then other companies can bid um, with new creative campaigns to steal that um business from another agency. But in general, there's nothing the agencies can do to take that company away until one of the brands decides they want to change. Because in general, from year to year, a company brand companies don't change who their advertising agency is. If you look at the data, some of these um, brands have been with the same advertising company for 50, 60, 70, or even close to a hundred years at a time. And so the times they don't really change from year to year, let alone, they hardly change from decade to decade. You'll see very long periods of time where a single brand, especially successful brands won't change their advertising agency. 
And this is very important for the business model of these companies because what it means is that on any average year, the company has a very high retention rate. So we're talking about retentions rate definitely over 90% per year where they're retaining 90% of their customers every year without any change. But more often you'll have retention rates over 95% per year. So what does this mean? This means that um, as a whole, each of these individual businesses has very high stability and reliability because it means that when you look year to year, the change in revenue and the change of earnings doesn't really change based upon entering new markets or or getting new customers. Really, the growth in revenue comes from the growth in advertising spend by their current customer base. So there will be some change and there will be some, um, you know, change of you might have a brand company go from advertising agency A to advertising agency B and B might lose another company that A steals back. But overall, the growth in revenue is really driven by the growth in advertising dollars by their current customer base. So the attractiveness of these companies is really driven by the fact that they have a strong customer base to begin with and not from the idea that they're going to have new high-value customers in the future. They can. It's always an option. But really the idea is they're trying to retain the customers they have and simply grow with their customers. And what this is important is because generally advertising spend grows with the economy, like I said before. So, you know, as Coca-Cola increases their sales, they're going to also generally increase their advertising budget. And so each year you might have a small increase of 3% per year in the advertising budget. And that goes to 3% additional revenue to the creative agency and the advertising holding companies respectively. So that will vary over time, especially during recessions. So one key negative for these companies is that they are very exposed to recessions because one of the key thing or one of the first things that a brand company will cut during a recession is their advertising budget. They're going to cut their marketing spend because um, they're really trying to focus on continuing to make pull together a profit simply with what they already have. And marketing is generally for growth and less retention. And so the focus when it becomes all on retention and short-term profitability, marketing tends to get the ax first. Now, this doesn't mean that you're having a company that's going from profitable to unprofitable because one of the key aspects of these companies is their margin stability and they're really their earning stability. So at a company like, you know, Omnicom or WPP, you might see revenue decline in a recession by 10 or 20%. But when it does that, instead of having earnings decline 100% and maybe going unprofitable, like you might get at a retail company, instead you're going to have earnings decline roughly in line with revenue declines because the costs of these business businesses are almost all um, variable. So as the business grows, they add more people. All the co- And as the business declines, they can fire people to eliminate any overhang. So you're not going to have people working for the company with nothing to do because 
their headcount is completely driven by the needs of the underlying businesses, which means that during a recession, you can lay off people. And when during an economic boom, you can hire more people. And they really try and target this cost plus um, relationship. So this is, you know, both positive and negative. You do get cyclicality in recessions, which means you're going to see earnings drop. But it means that outside of a recession, outside the worst parts of it, as long as companies are spending on advertising, the advertising holding companies are going to grow with the company with their customers. So it's really a win-win relationship between the customers and the advertising holding company, which means that as long as the customer is doing well, the advertising agency is doing well. You don't really have um, a mixed match of uh, incentives because um, these companies aren't trying to grow their margins. They're not trying to take a higher share of the economic benefit that their customers have been creating. Instead, they're simply trying to take you know this kind of cost plus profit that you can really rely on as a shareholder. Okay, so that, that kind of covers some pieces of it, but I think probably... Um, the highest beneficial aspect of advertising holding companies and really the driver for I wanted to talk about it today is what's called negative working capital. Um, So a lot of the advertising holding companies that I've looked at have this situation where they have negative working capital, which basically means that they grow for free. Um, Typically, when you want to grow a company, you have to invest money into new capital equipment or invest money into technology or people. And you have to take a risk with your money, with your capital as a shareholder in order to get that growth. That's not true with advertising holding companies because what they essentially do is they fund their um, company expenses based upon having their customers pay for it. So this might not really make sense, but but really an advertising agency is incredibly capital light. Um, there's not really um, capital investments that are needed. You don't have to build a new production or manufacturing facility. Um, you don't have to build out new cable for to, to give people internet and cable access. All you're doing is providing people that serve creative ideas and that builds a marketing campaign. What this means though is that as I said at the beginning, part of what an advertising holding company does is they purchase ads on behalf of their customers. And how they do this is they'll go and say, let's say Proctor and Gap, no, let's say Johnson & Johnson wants to buy $100 million in advertising for 2018. Well, they tell um, WPP, I want to buy $100 million in advertising and you know let that that'll be mixed between television and digital ads and radio or something. And so they will, what happens is that WPP will ask Johnson and Johnson to pay for that advertising in advance of when WPP has to pay the TV stations for that advertising. So what happens is they essentially get to borrow this money for free and use it to fund their ongoing expenses as the business. Um, so how this works is, you know, generally you might see that they will have like a two week difference from when they receive the money from their customers to when they have to pay it out to the TV company. And that float, that difference is able to be used as an investment in the running of the actual company. And that's why I call it negative working capital because 
they don't have to invest any company, any money on their own, like any shareholder capital. Instead, any growth and any running of the actual business takes place purely on the back of customers. This is highly beneficial for investors because it basically means that your return on in capital is infinite. So your growth isn't infinite, but your return on in capital is infinite because you never have to worry about the company deciding, hey, I need to spend a billion dollars to grow. And maybe that billion dollars only receives a 5% return. And that, that return is lower than the 10% that you want. So you're protected from low return investments because all of the in, the growth of the business is driven purely by the customers and it's paid for by the customers. So another key benefit of an advertising holding company is that really high key free cash flow. So this ties in with negative working capital. If you don't need your capital to grow the business, like if you don't need the, the cash flow that the, that the business creates, the, all the profits in order to grow, then all of that capital is available to be given back to shareholders or used in acquisitions. Um, so really the, the purpose of management becomes allocating that capital between the three buckets of acquisitions, dividends, and share buybacks. And as really the, the way that you'll see differences in performance between the different ad agencies is how they prioritize these buckets. Some of the ad agencies or some of the ad holding companies um, really focus on acquisitions and acquisitions and dividends. And some focus purely on dividends and some focus um, just on acquisitions and then some focus just on share buybacks. And you might have a mix between these different buckets. And basically the outcome between the different companies is going to be driven by where they choose to focus their capital because some are better at acquisitions than others. Some are better at share buybacks than others and some they're better at dividends than others. And that's really how you're able to delineate between the different choices. And so this really brings me to discussing a key aspect, uh, which is Omnicom is one of the six that I mentioned. And Omnicom is really my favorite advertising agency at this point because their focus is on share buybacks and not acquisitions or dividends. And I think this makes them very shareholder friendly management because they're really trying to drive the per share return of their investors. Um, when you invest in a business, one of the things that you want to see is you want to see that the number of shares outstanding is not growing because it means that if, if the shares outstanding are growing, that you're being slowly and steadily diluted out of the valuable business that you own. And you don't want to be diluted as a shareholder. Omnicom is different because with Omnicom, instead of being diluted as a shareholder, the company is steadily retiring shares and the, your value, the value of the shares that you own in the business are steadily becoming more valuable. And this can be really nice because you know that if the company is constantly retiring shares over time, that the per value of your shares should be going up each and every year because there's less and less shares available. Now, obviously, that's not always true. If revenue is dropping or anything like that, then this can be counteracted. But if you're owning a company that is growing revenue every year, growing earnings every year, and they're reducing share count every year, then 
you might not know the quantity or the magnitude of your improving share value, but you can be sure that the value of your shares is going up every year, which is something that's very favorable to have in a company. And that's really why I, I, I'm interested in Omnicom as an investment. And you can find out more about Omnicom um, through a quality report that I've written about the company, which is available for DIY investing members at the $5 a month level. So this really brings me to one last piece that I want to talk about, which is I think the big concern that everyone has um, when you're discussing an advertising holding company, whether it be WPP, Publicis, Omnicom, um, the big elephant in the room per se is what about digital? So what about Facebook? What about Google? And what about Amazon? And I think this is really worth talking about because it's something that I'm concerned about myself. Um, as I've talked through the different aspects and characteristics of these businesses, what I've been describing is a very high quality business. This is something that has incredibly good characteristics. You're seeing negative working capital. There's low competition. Um, these are very durable, reliable, stable businesses that are also growing and you get high returns on capital. So why doesn't everyone want to own these companies? And the big answer that I've been able to come up with is people are scared of what Facebook and Google are going to do to the advertising marketplace. And, and I'm going to include Amazon in here because although Amazon's a much smaller player in advertising right now, I think they're, gonna, they're threatening to become a bigger player in the market. So I think right now, you know, if you look at the statistics, Facebook and Google might be over 50% of digital advertising spends is being spent on either a Facebook platform or a Google platform. That is incredibly significant. And these companies are growing at extremely high rates. So they're growing, I think, I believe above 20% or 30% per year in revenue. And that growth is being taken from other sources of advertising. So they're taking that growth from advertising for radio or advertising for newspapers or advertising for television. And on the surface, this doesn't necessarily impact advertising holding companies because advertising holding companies purchase ads on behalf of their brands. And those brands are, you know, want advertising on TV, radio, and digital. And so even today, these holding companies are purchasing ads in the digital space. They're purchasing Facebook ads. They're purchasing Google ads. So the question becomes, why are people so scared um, that of what Facebook and Google? And I think the key answer is, is if Facebook and Google get big enough and if their ads are effective enough, you have the chance that the advertising holding companies are no longer needed because basically as Facebook and Google get better at providing you the tools to target your customers directly and really narrow down on how effective your campaign is being, there's a chance and there's a potential that these advertising holding companies are no longer going to be necessary. Now, my brain tells me that this chance is fairly low um, that basically there's a lot of problems with online advertising as it is. Um, 
And, you know, although you can track the effectiveness and you have a lot of fancy analytics, um, you know, I've seen myself how, you know, the ads might that I see, I might receive a lot of ads for stuff that I've already purchased. So if I've purchased something from a brand, my all my ads for the next two weeks online might be for that specific brand and the specific thing that I already purchased. So why is that company paying for an advertisement for something that I've already that they've already convinced me to buy? And so I'm just one person, but I think this is a similar theme that many people have seen across the internet is if they're searching for something or they're they're um they've already bought something, they might now see ads for that thing for a period of time, even though they've already made the purchase. So basically that advertisement is no longer as effective as it would be if it had been what really drove them to make the purchase in the first place. So I think this is just one of many possible gaps where, you know, advertising really doesn't necessarily match its goal. For instance, like if I'm Googling, um, you know, Tylenol on Google, my first ad is for Tylenol. It's like, well, if I was already Googling it and searching for Tylenol, why do I need to see the ad? I mean, shouldn't the ad be not there because it should be free. You know, I've already found what I want if I'm searching Tylenol. So if I click the Tylenol ad, then the Tylenol company is going to be paying for advertising that they didn't need. And that's just a a greater expense and it's not really effective for them. So again, my, my gut kind of says that there's this risk here. Um, but really, my, my brain's telling me that this risk is much lower than we expect it to be um, because there's always going to be a need for someone to drive a creative campaign and to really present products and brands in a way that customers can relate to them. And I, that's the purpose of these advertising holding companies and advertising agencies. And their high quality business characteristics. Um, mean that investments, if bought at the right price, can be quite promising. So I would encourage you to consider investigating some of these advertising holding companies. Um, You'll be able to find a list of them in the show notes at the bottom of the, or in the show notes for this podcast. And um, I think they're a good starting point. You know, do your own research and read about them. See if this is something that's interesting to you. But I've found that advertising holding companies are an interesting investment idea for myself. Um, And so I just wanted to talk to you about them and and really work through my thoughts. So again, the full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at DIYinvesting.org slash episode 15. And finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. You can become a patron at DIYinvesting.org slash patron. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investment content without any advertisements. If you choose to become a patron of the show, you'll receive exclusive insights into my personal investing process through the DIYinvesting.org membership program. Once again, you can find out more information at DIYinvesting.org slash P-A-T-R-O-N or listen to episode 11 of this podcast where I go into detail about the benefits of being a DIY investing member. Thank you for listening and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth.
Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.